Welcome to Unfolding Words. I'm your host, Antracia Moorings, and every week I come to share biblical truth to offer light for your walk and life for your soul. This is episode number 81, The Spread of Sin's Crimson Stain. Last week, we wrapped up Genesis chapter 3, and this week we're going to be diving into Genesis chapter 4. So if you're new here, you can jump right in with us. The study is called Dust and Divinity, and you can pick it up on Amazon. So Genesis 3 was a chapter that ended on a negative note. There's a finality to it. It ends with God drove the man out of the garden, and that's not all. At the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So because Adam and Eve seized that fruit early, they ended up losing it all, their idyllic life in the garden with God's presence with them. And the Lord drove them out away from the tree of life to the east of Eden. And with that in mind, Genesis 4.1 turns out to be a bit of good news. So being driven out of the garden would conjure up an image of a barren wasteland without trees, full of thorns, that was not fruitful and that was lacking life. And it would seem that Adam would be incapable of fulfilling the Lord's command to multiply, fill, subdue, and rule the earth after what went down in Genesis chapter 3. But the next thing we read is that Adam knows his wife and she conceives and gives birth to Cain. And her response is an interesting one. She says, I have made a man with the Lord. So in chapter four, one, she is sort of elevating herself to a co-creator of sorts with God. And even though Adam and Eve are cut off from the tree of life, Eve is still able to create life by giving birth. So outside of Eden, she is still Eve. Her name still means life. And she was named by Adam because she is the mother of all living things. We see that in Genesis chapter three, verse 20. So Cain is the first fully human who we see move from cradle to grave and from the womb to the tomb. Adam was formed from the dust by God himself, who breathed life directly into his nostrils And Eve came from Adam's rib, but Cain is the first to be born of a woman. Cain is the first fruits of the woman's womb. So if Adam was made in the image of God, Cain is clearly made in the image of his father. And we will see that the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. Adam sees that fruit in a garden and Cain will seize his brother in the field And it's interesting, Eve's response when she says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, because it may seem that Eve thinks that Cain is that promised seed, that Messiah to come, that will bruise the serpent's head. But she soon finds out that her Messiah, air quotes, child picked up that sin trait. So Cain and Abel begins the pattern of two sons, one chosen by the world and the other one chosen by God, usually the second who is preferred by God over the first. Bottom line, God is sovereign and he alone will determine how the Messiah will come about. Even though Eve may have proclaimed what she thought to be that seed, God is the one who determines the true royal seed. So Cain and Abel are born. Cain means possession to acquire, to get 
He is a tiller of the ground, so he's basically a farmer. Abel's name means breath, and he is a shepherd. And we read more about them in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 and 4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So at this point in Genesis 4, the two brothers bring a sacrifice or an offering to God. And we know that one sacrifice is not accepted. There are two camps of thought when it comes to Abel's preference or God's preference of Abel's over Cain's. Abel's sacrifice includes details and that should not be lost on the readers. Abel offered his sacrifice by faith and it was a more acceptable sacrifice. He offered in obedience. So some commentators say it was the quality of the offering. Abel's sacrifice was better because it was the firstborn, the best of his flock, while Cain's came from some of his crop. And others say it was based on the condition of the heart. Dr. Jim Coakley, a professor at Moody, says, It is not so much about what you bring in your hand as it is what you bring in your heart. So it's the kind of worship and the worshiper or the offer that God looks at rather than the offering itself. So we see that Cain's character was off because God is more concerned about the posture of our hearts than what we're offering to him. And we see this in 1 Samuel 15 and 22. It says, and Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Notice how God in his kindness comes to Cain before he commits his sin of murder. God told Cain to do well, or he would become a servant to sin. What stopped him from listening to God? What could Cain have done to do well? So if you do well means you will rule over your anger. So before Cain committed sin, God came to him with a warning. We can look at the grace of God here that provided a way out of sin or temptation. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? So clearly his sacrifice was rejected because it was the sacrifice of an evildoer. So to do well would be for him to retrace his steps, to consider his ways and find out where he had been wrong and then to amend his offering and his intentions accordingly. The Lord does not immediately reject Cain, but with long suffering and patience, he directed his attention to this posture of his heart that it could be corrected. And then on making this correction, he holds out to him the clear and the certain hope of acceptance that was still there. So Genesis 4 and 7 says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So notice the twofold nature of verse number seven. The word for sin is offense. So it's the punishment for sin, or it could mean the sin offering. Those That word can mean those two things. So if you don't do well, and then you sin, there is a sin offering lying in the door for you. That's what this could mean also. If Cain does not do well and he sins, that is the sin offering lies at the door and he could have benefited from it. The same word signifies sin and a sacrifice for sin. Even if 
Cain had not done well, he didn't have to despair because there was a remedy at hand for him. A symbol of Christ, the great sin offering, was said to stand at the door. But it doesn't take long for death to rear its ugly head outside of the garden. Cain seized his brother and murdered him. So the Cain and Abel story is the garden story revisited. A choice has to be made between good and bad. But instead of taking advantage of this sin offering, Cain gives in to the anger and jealousy, which leads him to fratricide, which is the murder of his brother. So God questioned Adam and Cain in those two separate occasions, one in the garden, one out here in the field. And he asked, where are you? He asked Adam that and he asked Cain that he wanted to know where Abel was. It was a rhetorical question for both. Adam and Eve confessed, but notice that Cain doesn't. Cain's motives were evil, and so was he. God came to the garden calling, where are you? And he asked Cain, where is your brother Abel? The Lord asked Eve, what have you done? And he repeats the question to Cain. In the garden, God cursed the serpent and the ground. In the field, he cursed Cain and himself. Cain has not yet repeated his father's sin. He's gone one step worse than his father. So what does 1 John 3 and 12 teach us about Cain's motives? It says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So John presents Cain as a negative example, who was not right with God because his works were evil and who hated his brother. When there are two children of God who are both right with God, there will be love that exists there. We see this wasn't the case between Cain and Abel. So Cain was of the wicked one because he had a failure to love. This is the context of 1 John chapter 3. Cain's disobedience came from a lack of faith, which resulted in first disobedience and then hatred because it had gone unchecked. Cain's disobedience and hatred was based in pride, and it ultimately made him miserable. Cain refused the warning that God gave him and gave in to this sin of hatred that took over, leading to murder. And then, top it off, Cain was evasive about the sin of hatred, and he tried to hide it, but God found him out anyway. So the consequences for Cain's sin was that he was to be a fugitive and a wanderer. Cain thinks his punishment is too much to bear, and he fears retaliation for the murder that he committed. We see that he lacks repentance and sorrow. And we also see that he has self-pity for himself. And then notice the ground motif. The blood calls from the ground, the blood of his brother. The ground won't yield to Cain. Cain was driven from his homeland, which is the ground. He's a farmer. This is his life's work. And Cain is a fugitive and driven from God's presence. The ground is cursed. Like I said, it's linked to his life as a farmer. And he's alienated himself from his brother and God so that he ends up being a wanderer. So he's protected, but without salvation. And like Adam and Eve, he's separated from God's presence. But Cain added something to his punishment in verse 14 that God did not impose upon him. And he eventually lives out this self-imposed punishment in Genesis 4 and 16. He said that he will be killed and hidden from God's face. And in verse 16, Cain himself went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, which means wandering. 
So Cain was angry. He was a murderer. He had self-pity. He was unrighteous and prideful. And then he went on to build a city and name it after his son. His legacy is not the best. Cain does obey the command to be fruitful and multiply, though. We can give him that. He knows his wife. She conceives and bears a son, Enoch, who becomes the father of Ired, who becomes the father of Mahujael, and on down through the generations, all who bear the image of their father, Cain. So Cain is not just the first, but he's the prototype of all humanity. And it will only be seven generations before Cain, the murderer, begins to look rather mild compared to those who come after him. So by the time Lamech comes on the scene, which is seven generations away from Cain, we see the completeness of sin. Notice the number seven means a completeness or a perfection. And it looks like sin has perfected itself with lying, anger, jealousy, murder, adultery, and polygamy. So first the fall, then we have fratricide or the murder of a brother. And then we have this brutal vengeance, which is lived out in the life of Lamech. So Lamech commits the first act of polygamy. And notice the Bible is not prescriptive telling us what to do, but it's just describing what's going on. So Lamech decided on his own to take more than one wife. This originated with man. It's not anything that God ordered for man to do. And then we see a big advancement in in society. His legacy included shepherds and musicians, but we notice that he is not a father to the faithful. So Lamech, taught his children how to advance technology with brass and iron, but there was no one to teach them the good knowledge of the Lord, how to be mighty and merry in the Lord and to walk in his service. And we also have the first poetry in this book, Genesis chapter four and verse 23. And notice that there's a parallel structure, which is a hallmark of Hebrew poetry. And this is called the Song of the Sword. And it paints a picture of Cain's legacy of violence and Lamech's arrogance. This poem is addressed to his wives, and some say it was sort of an intimidation tactic to keep them in check. And we see that Lamech is boastful and avenges him, wants to avenge himself with a 77-fold revenge. And the chapter ends with a call to the Lord and ends with the same, a sign that though sin has a crimson stain, God is still our sign of hope. So as I mentioned, there were cultural advances that came with the birth of Lamech's sons, Jabal, Jubal, and Tubal-Cain. So alongside the music of the lyres and the pipes, there was livestock and tools of bronze and iron. And all of this against the backdrop of Lamech saying, I have killed a man for wounding me. Society is already not looking its best. So Eve boasted of giving life to Cain. And Lamech, Cain's seed, boast of killing. So with Lamech, we are on the verge of the flood and we see exactly why. The Lord is going to be grieved in his heart and threatens to blot everything out from the face of the earth because of how we see mankind developing in a downward spiral. But just when we think we're about to go over that edge with the flood, the scriptures take us back to Adam and begins with another branch, so to speak, of history. And it says, Adam knew his wife again, and she gave birth to a son. So this third son they named Seth, which is a spin on a Hebrew verb that means to establish. 
Seth is like a new righteous tree instead of a sinful thorn like Cain. He's a bright light in this sort of dark landscape that's starting to emerge. So when Cain was born, Eve said very proudly that she had the power to make a man with the Lord. But notice that at Seth's birth, she takes on a more humble approach and says that Seth is a gift of God. So Seth is not formed in Eve's womb. He's given, appointed, and established by God. Seth's birth is like a return to righteousness, so to speak. And soon after he's born, the scripture tells us men begin to call upon the name of Yahweh. But this passage points us to an even greater act of mercy. When Cain was born, Eve called him a man. Did you notice that? But when she gives birth to Seth, she calls him seed. So God has established in her another seed in the place of Abel. And with that word seed, we're taken all the way back to the promise of chapter three, which is known as the Proto-Evangelium. This is the first announcement of the gospel. It's the first time in the Bible that the word seed refers to a human being, that human being who would be the seed of the woman who crushes the serpent's head. So that seed is brought up again in chapter four. So when Eve gives birth to Seth, she sees him as a confirmation of sorts of this promise that was given to her in chapter three, that the Lord bring this promised seed. And with the birth of Seth, this replacement son, she understands that the seed who will deliver humanity and change the course of Cain's ways will have to come from the Lord. So despite all that's gone down, Adam's sin and Cain's murder of his brother, despite Lamech's violence and the fact that Cain's children are not living up to the good work that God had established for them, God will still choose to redeem the human race down through the generations, through families. And one interesting thing is that you notice the word brother is used seven times in this chapter. And the name Abel is also used seven times. So this chapter is about how sin seeps into the closest relationships of our lives, how sin can tear down families and those relationships that we hold most dear. And if you notice in this chapter, there are a lot of similarity between Genesis chapters two and three and four. There's a temptation, a warning against it. Then there's a giving into it and the consequences of it. Sin will always repeat itself in the same manner. And the interesting thing about Cain's reaction to his rejected offering is that he's angry. It's like he's fuming. One translation says, why are you scowling? To help us understand that what's going on in Cain's heart is showing up on his face. So it's not the circumstances that created the anger in his heart, but what was in his heart was revealed through the circumstances. So what's in your heart that's sinful will always manifest itself, which is why you have to deal with it at the root. Sin crouches down. It always will look smaller than it really is. The Puritan John Owen said, be killing sin or it will kill you. Sin is not just what you do, it's who you are, it's what you let grow in your heart. Pastor Tim Keller says, the things that can most destroy you are not the things you think. The things that can most destroy you are the things you think are not that bad. Those little 
sins of the heart that you think you can handle and deal with are always the ones that will eventually take you out. So we all have a choice today between good and bad, between living as a thorn bush or living as a tree of righteousness planted by the rivers. And that choice is determined by our actions and our response to God. Will we accept the good gift of grace that he offered through Jesus and that he continually offers daily through new mercies? Every day you are making choices to live for God or for yourself. So choose wisely. So that's it for chapter four of Genesis. And next week, we're going to be looking at the genealogies. So I do hope you'll tune in. There is a lot of good stuff in this chapter. It's not just a list of boring names. So be sure to tune in next week. And remember that you can connect with me on social media, on Twitter at unfolding underscore words and on Facebook and Instagram at unfolding words. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to me, send me a DM, send me an email and leave a comment on the post on my website at unfolding words. And I'll answer any questions that you have. Thank you so much for the feedback that I'm getting, that you're learning new things and that the light bulbs are going off. I love hearing all of the feedback. Thank you so much. So that's it for this week's episode. I'll see you back here next week. And until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.